the following was recorded on Friday, July 1st, 2022. Hello and welcome to Parkour Ed. My name is Colin Daly and Parkour Ed is a podcast where I sit down with colleagues and members of the IFS community here at the International French School Singapore and we talk about what led people to our school. We all work together. We have many cultural differences but many things that we share in common as well. So now is a chance to sit down and talk about them. And I have a special guest today and I'm going to let her introduce herself so she can tell us all about her name. Hello, my name is Lavanya Ramachandran Kale. So there's a lot of history there. Part Malaysian, part French. The name doesn't sound Malaysian. Well, there are different ethnicities in Malaysia, like right. Singapore. So you have Malays right. and Indians and Chinese. And so mine is of Indian origin. In Tamil or Indian culture, Lavanya is actually not a very unique name. It's known. I, I know a couple of Lavanyas actually. Yeah. So Lavanya and the last name is? Ramachandran. Ramachandran. Which is my dad's name. Okay. And Calais because I married a French guy. Calais. Oh, okay. Calais, like Pat Calais, like the north of France. Exactly. Okay, so Ramachandran. Yes. Ramachandran is your father's... My father's first name. First name. Because that's how it works in the Indian culture. Oh, I didn't know that. Tell tell me about that. In Chinese cultures, Chinese families have a family name. But in Indian culture, you take on the first name of your father's name as your surname, as your last name. Really? So parents and children do not share the same same family name. I never knew that. Yeah. So it's interesting in one way, but it also makes it very hard to construct your family tree because you can only ever go up a couple of generations or three or four at the very most, unless you have detailed records of birth and deaths, which is not very common in Asia or in Southeast Asia, at least. You can go up to like 200 or 300 years of records in France or in Europe because they've had that system for that long, but you don't over here. So I think I know my great-grandparents, but not after. Fascinating. I did not know that. Thank you for sharing that with us. So you were born in Malaysia, I take it? I was born in Malaysia, raised in Malaysia. I left when I was 18. You did? Okay. Well, not to give away your age, but roughly what time period were you born? I don't mind saying the day. I mean, I'm not that sensitive about my age. For now, (laughs) I was born in 1988. 1988. Yes, in Sabah. And you lived there until you were 18? I lived there until I was 16. 16? In Sabah? In Sabah, Kota Kinabalu. Wow. Which is in the east of Malaysia, Borneo. Right. I've heard of it. I've never been. I'd love to go. And you were there until you were 16. 16 years old. What was your town like? Was it a big town, a small town? Oh, no. Back then, it was a very small town. East Malaysia was not as developed as West Malaysia because there you have that difference. There's two and a half hours of flight between the two. Everyone knew everyone. I actually ran into a nurse here at the school who said that she used to live in Sabah around my time and she's around my age and she went to the same school. So I was like, that's weird because I don't remember you. I would have remembered another Indian person because there were not many of us back then. It was a very small town. It was, I guess it was a very idyllic childhood. It was nice. Lots of different people and not very much technology. Because we're part of the generation that knew before internet and after internet. Was the demographic similar to what we might see in Singapore with the ethnic Chinese, Malay, Prankan, Indian... Was there yes quite a mix or was it more? more yes more? and more because you also have the ethnic tribes of Sabah and Sarawak, which are not very prevalent in West Malaysia. So I you see. have like the Katazans and the Dusuns and, and 
all the other different tribes. I have to admit yeah. something which will probably make me sound ridiculous, but I like to drive my motorcycle up into Malaysia. And one time I went to renew my insurance and the person at the insurance company said, well, it only covers West Malaysia. And I remember saying, I want to drive to Desiru. I want to go to Mersing. Okay. That's on the east side of the peninsula. And she shook her head and said, no. East, East Malaysia, Malaysia is on the island. On the there. other side of the oh, sea. That shows you my American side when it comes to geography, well, I suppose. A lot of Malaysian people, West Malaysian people, don't really understand what it's like in the East either. I bet. So do people not travel so much between the two? Because you were there till you were 16, you said, right? Yes. Did you have a big school that you went to, that everyone went to? Oh, no, there were several schools in Malaysia. Like in Singapore, you have convent schools, which mm -hmm. were founded by the nuns, which is a remnant of the British colonization era. So we have a lot of those. So I went to St. Francis Convent, which was a school for girls. And you had other things like St. Francis, St. Estella Maris, and uh, St. Xavier, and Sal, and all these British colonial era schools that are still present nowadays. What were the age groups of the schools? Did you go to what we refer to maternelle here, like kindergarten? I went to a Chinese kindergarten, actually, yes. I forgot all my Chinese. I can't speak Chinese now. <laughs> it was the same as Singapore. So you have primary one through primary six, and then secondary one to secondary five, form right. one to form five. So primary one would be CP, and primary six would be CZN, age group-wise? I guess, around there, like seven okay. to 12, yeah, seven to 12, and then 13 to 17. Uh, no, because uh, CZN is 11. 10 and 11. Yeah, so they go season. into so middle go... school a little bit younger. In Singapore, the difference is between 12 and 13, so primary 6 to second. They called it secondary 1, form 1 to form 5. I see CZM here is collège, but it's also the end of the cycle 3, right? Cycle 3, So yeah. it's kind of still connected a bit to the primary side. I guess, but then here you have the distinction with collège, which is like technically middle school. Right. We don't have that in, in Malaysia or Singapore. Okay. And are the systems in Malaysia and Singapore very similar? Or very there, similar. Or there are differences yes. between them as well? No, similar. But similar in the case that we have these big examinations at the end of primary school and at the end of secondary school. And up to, I think, a couple of years ago, we also had another one at 15, which is equivalent to the brevet, I guess. So was 16 a good year to change residences? Was that moving from one school to another? Or were you uprooted for a different reason? Was uh, it because of school that you moved? No, or? it wasn't because of school. It was because my dad got transferred. My dad was a customs officer. So he worked with the Malaysian customs. And obviously, it's a government service. It's a civil right. service job. So he got transferred. And no, it was not a good thing for oh. me to move uh, when I was 16, because I moved in the middle of the school year. And it was the last two years of high school. So that's where you have similar to here, like speciality and your streams, your art streams and science streams. And so it was in the middle of, you know, these final examination preparations. Well, that's interesting. Your father was a... Is he still a customs no, officer? No, he's retired he's now. He's retired now. Yeah. And your mother? My mom works in logistics. Is she retired or is she still no, working? No, she's still working. She's part owner, part manager of her oh. own logistics company Wonder. now. Were your parents both born in Sabah? Are they no. from there? They are from West Malaysia. My dad went there for work. But so he did spend 16, at least 16 years At there. least 16 years over yeah. there. 20, counting from before he got married. But both my parents are West Malaysian, so every year we used to go back to visit family in West Malaysia. You have brothers and sisters? I have three younger sisters. Three younger sisters, so you're the eldest. Yes, and all that entails. Indeed. So what part of Malaysia were your parents originally from, and did they go back to the same part? 
Did you move back to where they were from or did you go to a completely different part? No, my mom is from Ipoh, which is between Kuala Lumpur and Penang, for those who know West Malaysia. And my dad is from Malacca. So when we moved back, we went to Klang, which is not far from Kuala Lumpur. I see. All three of those places I know quite well because of my motorcycle Motorcycle. riding. I like to go and visit and they're within an easy day's drive. It's quite a short drive. Do you mainly drive on the highways? No, I like to go on the small roads, but oftentimes I'll go home on the highway. When I'm fresh in the morning, I'll take the small roads, the coastal roads up, and then sometimes I'll cross, go all the way across. I like to go to Mersing Mersing and then cut all the way across, and you go through Klang, actually, on one of the cross-island highways. Mm -hmm. But then oftentimes I'll take the highway back when you're a little tired, and at the end of the day, it's easier to keep your concentration. But I love it up there. It's beautiful. You weren't able to get up there during COVID at all either, were you? No, I was stuck here for two years. Just like everyone. (laughs) Yep, which is a little frustrating because when there's a bridge, that connects the two countries so I could literally walk across so that was uh, no that was hard you know to not be able to go back for two years because my grandma lives with us now and so you know at a certain age you sort of want to see your grandparents whenever you can because you never know what might happen so yeah that was it was a little hard yeah so when you moved and you got settled into Klang. Kluang? Is it pronounced Klang or Kluang? Kluang is a different city in Johor. Okay, that's what I meant. Klang is in Selangor. Okay, I'm sorry. Klang. So when you settled in Klang, you started in a new school. Were you already studying French? No. You weren't? Because for uh, people who haven't heard you speak French, your French is wonderful. I thought you were French when I first met you. Well, I was there for 10 years. Ah, okay, that helps. But before we get to France for 10 Mm. years, and I want to hear all about that, when did you start learning French? When I got to France. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, Rather, we had three months before when I was about about 18. And then when I went to France, we had two years of intensive French, which was part of the program I was part of, which is why I went to France. So when you were 18 at the end of your high school, you finished high school and you went to France? Yes. Just to study French? No. The whole program was a seven-year program, which means I would have left, uh, I did leave, with an engineering degree. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. I'm pedaling to keep up here. (laughs) What was the high school like in Klang? You had specialized studies in high school or was it general? I specialized in science. Well, science and literature because I'm interested in, I read a lot. Which is why I wear glasses. (laughs) (laughs) I started wearing glasses when I was eight because I used to read books under the covers without sufficient light. And so I am blind without my glasses. Oh, no. Well, they suit you. They suit you, and good thing we have glasses. That's a big step for an 18-year-old from Malaysia to go off, to decide to go off to France. What was the catalyst? Did you have a teacher who said, you'd be perfect for this, or did somebody come in and recruit you, or did you just say, I like croissants? What was it? (laughs) Well, firstly, there's two ideas. The first idea is that it wasn't that much of a big step to leave the country, because it's very common in countries around here, Southeast Asia, to go somewhere for your higher education if you have the chance to. So mainly if you if your parents can afford it or if you have a scholarship. So I had a scholarship. When I was applying for the scholarship, there was a drop-down menu on the computer where you had a list of different countries and there was no particular reason, but I clicked on France and so I ended up in France. A random click. Yes. And that shaped your life beyond any way you could have imagined, I'm sure. I guess so, yeah. So you clicked, said France. Yep. Pourquoi pas? And so what happened next? Well, I was lucky to get the scholarship. So I had three months of sort of basic French in Malaysia, which 
was done with all the other students that were part of my program. So mostly 18 year olds who have left high school because we had that big exam at the end. And so I left for France, I think a month after my 18th birthday. Wow. Now, did you go over by yourself or did your parents accompany you? No, no parents, just with the other students. So how many of you were there in the cohort, in the group? In the cohort, in the entire cohort, there were about 30 of us, I think, in this particular program. And we were divided into three different cities. And I ended up with 10 others in a small city called Blois. I know it well. It's in the Vallée de la Loire. Vallée de la Loire, yes. There's there's a beautiful castle castle there. there. Chateau de Blois, yeah. Excellent. And so your classmates were all from Malaysia? Yes. All right. And for how long? So we were there for about two years in Blois. And then we went our separate ways depending on what we decided to study. So you did have a bit of a support group. You weren't just dropped in the middle no. of France, a little Malaysian girl all by herself who no. doesn't speak French. So you still had a community. The 10 that, other people. Did you get really close with those people? Did you know them well before you left? Well, we had this three months together, so right. we knew uh, all the people in the cohort. I guess, uh, I mean, you form bonds, I guess, with certain people. Right. And I have not kept in touch with everyone, but I have kept in touch with some people, yes. How many of them are like you, maintain the the connection to France and still speak French and work with the Um, French? Do you have any idea? I guess not many work in French companies, but some of them do actually, based around the area. Some of them are still in France, I think. But yeah, I guess not many have maintain the French connection through a company or through professional life or through personal life. So I yeah. see. And who organized the program from the start? Was it the Malaysian government? Yes. And did they offer the scholarship or were there scholarships offered from the school? No, it was a scholarship offered by the government. It was in collaboration with the French government. I didn't know those existed. That's a really good idea. So you were in Blois. Two years in Blois. So what jumps out at you as kind of your first... uh, First impression or First impression. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking weather must have been an an issue. No? I guess I adapted... food or what what was it that... Well, I guess, uh, like I said, I like to read a lot. So I think I was exposed to all these different cultures very early in life. And so there was not much of a culture shock, more like an expanding of horizons and I was very very I guess you know you're 18 you're young you're living alone for the first time and you get to do all these things and I guess Blois was a very very good place to start with my French teacher at the time who specialized in you know Francais langue étrangère Mm -hmm. so she had a very good approach to not only teach us the grammar of French which is not very easy by the way but also to give us little insights into the culture. So we went to visit the castles, we went to visit museums, we went to restaurants. And so that, I think, helped me sort of have a very good idea from the beginning itself of what life was in France and not just, you know, do the touristic parts of things. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I was lucky. And in this region, I mean, people are exposed to many different languages and cultures. Mm. Many people speak many different languages. Obviously, English... I would guess English is your first language, but I can't assume. With your grandparents, did your grandparents speak a different language? Yes. or So what language do your grandparents speak? And can you speak with them and do you understand yes. what they're saying? So with my grandma and my grandparents, I speak Tamil. I'm not very good at speaking Tamil, but I can read and write Tamil. And so that's one of the languages that we speak. But my parents, even though they spoke Tamil with each other sometimes, they decided to 
bring us up speaking English to us, me and my sisters. So the main language at home, you're right, was English. I see. And were your parents extremely comfortable with English? Yes. So they everyone learned, is in Malaysia. They, right, and I, almost everyone. So they grew up learning English as children. They didn't have to learn it as an adult. No. You said you went to a Chinese kindergarten, but you don't remember no. your Mandarin. But an early exposure to a foreign language was. That's very common in Southeast Asian countries or in Asian countries in general because our school system is in Malay and English. So we learn both from the very beginning. So all my examinations and my notes were in Malay. And then when I got to a higher level in secondary school, we had the opportunity to do it in English as well. So it's both. So I didn't even think about Malay because there's there's Tamil, there's English, but you were studying in Malay as mm-hmm. well, which was not a home language. No. But it's the country's language. It's the country's language. And I'm curious, when you speak Malay, do yes. you have an accent? No. You sound like a native speaker and you yes. are a native speaker. I am, and, yes. and when you speak English, you're a native speaker. And to my, you know, American-born ears, I speak French and I've heard you speak French. You, to me, you sound like a native speaker in French, but you have a fluency, a fluidity in French that I don't think I have, which is probably from living there for a long time yes. and also having a good ear and being intelligent. Well, I guess I like languages. And like I said, I was there for 10 years and all my studies were in French. All right. So, so the first two years in Blois, mm-hmm. and then where did you go after that? After that, we, we went our separate ways to choose our different fields of study. So some people went into engineering schools directly where you had like a prépa intégré, like INSA. Right. But I chose to do a preparatory class, class prépa, which is what I did in INP Toulouse. So ah. I went down south and I ended up staying there for eight years. Wow. So you did a prépa for two years. Yes. And that's pretty intense from what I've heard. The prépa is really a... They work you? Um, yeah, it wasn't a prépa classique. It was a prépa polytechnique. So, Institut National de Polytechnique in okay. Toulouse. And I did that for two years. And that's where you don't have this uh, concours. You don't have an exam at the end where you're based, where you have a, a, ranking. a ranking system. You do have a ranking system at the end, but then it's not what determines your entry into different engineering schools. You have a list of schools that you can apply to and they call it sur dossier. So it depends on your application, depends on your qualification, depends on your marks and your grades. So you did that for two years? I did that for and, two years and in Toulouse. Yeah, I stayed in Toulouse and I went on to do materials engineering in NCSET, which is a grande école. Okay. And yes. for the lay person like myself, what is materials engineering? Is that working with different types of materials? Or? Yes. Studying the properties, so physical, chemical, mechanical, thermal, all of I mean, that sounds so. very general. We're talking plastics, woods, metals, anything. anything. Yeah, anything. So that's three years. You have a general year at the beginning and then you sort of specialize as you go up into your last year. So in my last year, I studied polymers and composites. Oh, I see. So those are what I'd call plastics, right? Or glues. Yes, plastic polymers. <laughs> polymers. Yeah. 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 In material yeah. scientists, we say polymers. Polymers. Plast- plastic yeah. is a there was a adjective. Uh, an advertisement on television when I was a kid that used to play over and over again. Something about it. It's a space age polymer. It's mm-hmm. something that they would spread on a car to make it look shiny. <laughs> so that's my introduction to that word. Sorry. <laughs> I tried. Yeah. <laughs> so once you've done all those studies and you been there for a while did you stay and did you start working there as well no i actually went on to study more <laughs> you do like to read i do yes <laughs> so i went on to do a phd in material science 
So that was my extra three years that I stayed in Toulouse, three and a half. I see. So I should be calling you doctor. Do you have the title? <laughs> yes. Dr. <so>. Lavagna. <laughs> okay. I see. Okay. Yes. So my PhD was in polymer composites, where I studied the electrical conduction with gold nanofibers in polymers. Gold nanofibers. Gold nanofibers dispersed in a polymer matrix. I see. Those are the kind that we like in Singapore because there's gold in them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. All right. So you studied that and you wrote your thesis and you did all that hard work. Yes. And this whole time, uh, how often did you get to go home or how much contact did you have with home? Mostly every summer because since I was still studying, we still had summer holidays off. So I guess I'm still used to that now. I still have summers off. <laughs> that is true. So after you got your PhD, you were in Toulouse. I was in PhD. Toulouse, yes. Okay. So, Sudwest. Sudwest, yes. Yeah. Cassoulet comes to mind. Not far. What yeah. type of material is in the Cassoulet? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Water from Castelnaudary. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they say. I see. So after you finished your PhD... Did you stay in Toulouse some more or Um, what happened after that? No, after that, we ended up leaving France, both me and my husband. You met your husband while you were a student in your PhD? You know, during engineering school. We did the same thing. He's a materials engineer too. He also did his PhD in Toulouse at the same time I did. So you were colleagues? Not at the same lab. Not Not at the same same lab. And so? We left after... Well, like I said, the last six months were very hectic because we had our thesis to submit, both of us. We had his defense and then a wedding, our wedding in France. And then we had my defense and then we left France and then we had the Malaysian wedding in Malaysia. My goodness. So that was the last six months. So once all that was over, we woke up the next day and we were like, what do we do now? We have nothing to plan. Amazing. I'm just thinking logistics. You said your mom worked in logistics. I'm sure it's a different kind, but just getting all that stuff scheduled and done and you must be good under pressure. Uh, we don't really know how we did it, but we did. Everything must seem easy now. So you, you came back, you had the wedding here. Was that the last thing, the wedding here? Yes. The move here? And the then move here. Where, what brought you back? It, was it family that brought you back, or was it a job, or was it just a desire to... Desire to leave France, uh, yeah. more or less, to go somewhere else. Not to leave France, uh, per right. se, just to go somewhere else. So we ended up traveling for a month after that. We went to Borneo, Sabah, and Sarawak for a month, climbed the mountain, and then we ended up going to Vietnam to teach for a couple of months at a volunteer center. So that was nice. Where was it in Vietnam? Haiphong. Haiphong, okay. Yes. You know that too. You know lots of places. Yeah. Well, a little bit. A yeah. little. I'm from Minnesota and we had a large influx of Southeast Asian refugees in the 80s. And I visited Vietnam in the early 90s for the first time. When I was living in Taiwan on a school holiday, I went to Vietnam and I love to travel in Vietnam. It's a beautiful place and the people are lovely. It is, yeah. And I was lucky as well because my mother was an English as a second language teacher in the 80s when the refugees were arriving. Okay. And she got to know her students pretty well. And as I was a young kid and I got to know some of her students and and it just made me curious. It made me curious about... uh, where they're from. So you went to a volunteer center to teach for a few months? To teach English for a few months, yeah. Oh, well, we ended up staying not as long as we hoped for. 
Now, your husband's French, correct? My husband's French. Okay. Was he yes. teaching English, too? He was teaching English, oh, too. Oh, good. And he had a couple of French lessons, because there were some students who were interested in French lessons, too. That was nice, because it's different when you're a tourist and when you're living somewhere. It is, definitely. Yeah. Now, what, what part of France was your husband from? Was he from the Toulouse area? No, he was uh, from the Paris area, out to Paris. Yeah. Oh. So you're in Vietnam, still traveling, teaching semi-settled for a little bit to for teach, a little bit yeah so no no particular on. roots anywhere we still don't have particular roots anywhere i see i see and then what then we were still applying for jobs obviously and my husband got the opportunity to come back and do it in singapore so he's so. working in materials and polymers and yes he's a researcher so a he's researcher. doing a postdoctorate a postdoc oh, contract wonderful. and where does he do that in SUTD, Singapore University of Technology and Design. Oh, great. And so you both came here. Do you mm-hmm. have other family or friends that you knew from before in Singapore? In did Singapore? You, did you just both land here? Oh, no. Kind uh, of outsiders. Not very close family. I have an aunt here and mm-hmm. a couple of cousins, I think. But we weren't really close before. And then, yeah, we came here because we said, well, after 10 years in France, it was nice to be a little bit closer to my family. So that was an opportunity to be closer to them. So we moved here and then COVID. Yeah, and then I couldn't I go back for two years. Oh, no. Does your husband have a large family? Brothers and sisters? Two brothers. Two brothers. Okay. Mm. And any nieces or nephews? No. No, not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Are you planning to travel this summer? We are. We're going back to Malaysia and to France. Oh, good. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So how long ago was it that you arrived here in Singapore? Singapore, I think we got here in 2018. So time has gone by very fast. It has. Some of those years don't count. I know. I mean, it feels like they yeah, don't you count say because we, we, you're sitting in a room looking at a screen the whole time. <laughs> so initially we said, oh, we're not going to stay here for very long, maybe a couple of years. And then you get more projects and then you get opportunities and so I'm really not sure how long we're going to stay here can be long can be not long you started teaching here at the school yes I did and what do you teach here I teach physics and chemistry physics and chemistry so what levels are you teaching this year this year I have sixième seconde sixième and seconde yes okay and do you like it I do very much yeah you have to say that because you can't say you don't like it on the air. <laughs> we are in school. <laughs> We're in school. No, but you, I, no, I, do. I, I can I, tell. I do like it, yes. You seem like someone who, who's happy. Which is doing why what, I decided to go into education and not continue in research. In your field, in which you got your PhD, people go into research, but they can also go into the professional Look, sector yes, as well. The industrial can, sector. The industrial yes. sector. Yes, they can. Yeah. And neither of those areas attract you at the moment? Oh, attracted me at all. At all. When I started doing my research, I was thinking, you know, this is what I'm going to do. But then I got into the education side of it and I realized that that was what I was more attracted to because PhDs mainly you have to be able to explain your ideas and to teach. So I got into that educational aspect by editing articles. So that was what I was doing as a freelancer for a couple of years after. And then I got the job here at the school, not as a teacher, but in the vie scolaire, in ah, the primary school. Right. So that's how I got into the French school. Discipline master, I think Discipline they call master, them in English, Discipline mistress. Is, so. Discipline mistress. <laughs> 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 
call me ma'am. You were on the primary side? I was on the primary in side. In the vie scolaire? Yes, in the vie scolaire. Right. So that was how I got to know the teachers and the school. Since I was a part-time worker, I got to do a lot of projects with the kids as well because the teachers are very welcoming. They're very open and they were very, very nice, accepting and allowed me to, you know, develop my passions, I guess, because I used to do science experiments with the kids. And so that's how I decided to pursue this more professionally as a teacher, which is why I did the PGCE. And now I'm doing the master's in education as well. So what does PGCE stand for again? PGCE is the Postgraduate Certificate in Education. All right. I knew that. <laughs> You're just checking. Did I get it right? I actually I couldn't remember what it meant. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you're doing a master's in education. In education now. Where are you doing that? With Nottingham okay. University. Online. Yes. Do you have to go and sit exam? No, because they're all dissertations okay. and thesis submissions. Wow. So a lot of writing. So your first taste of education was in editing the articles, and your first contact with students. Well, I mean, editing articles, you're... you have the, the teacher-student relationship because uh, you're correcting the English, but you also have to understand the subject matter right. because it's a research article. So were these undergraduates or graduate students? Uh, these were researchers. Oh, these were researchers. Research so articles. They were postgraduates. Yes, mean, they, okay, yes. Okay, so they were researchers. Researchers and then, who, were, who were publishing articles in scientific journals. They were publishing them in English, and so yeah. you were correcting them and interacting with them. Mm-hmm. So you have editing services that publishers usually go through. I was part of one of these freelance companies that did that. I see. Wow, I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> I love, well, if I love you want to do research, you have to publish. Yes, publish or perish, they say. Publish right? or perish, that's it, yeah. And so, your husband, is he under the gun? Does he have to yes, do a yes, lot of research publish, and publishing? Publish and conferences. Do you live near the school? No, I don't. So I live you, all the way in Paseris. Oh, you do? Okay. Well, that's not too far. No. I mean, that's well, a nothing bi- is very that's a long, far in That's Singapore. a long bicycle ride. You can take the park connectors <laughs> from Paseris. Yeah. You could. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we're lucky to have you because, I mean, OFS is right over there on Paseris. It we is. don't want you to. I'm yeah. not giving you any ideas. No. I'm just saying. Yeah, but. It's different. When you live in Seibari as your school, you run into a lot of your students. I know. I love it. You do? I love it. I wouldn't. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. It's wonderful. But that's how I grew up. I grew up in a neighborhood where a lot of my teachers oh, lived as well. So it okay. seems normal to me. No, I like the quiet of Pasiris. I don't hear cars. Yeah, you got to watch out for those wild boars, though. They're... Oh, that's all right. <laughs> as long as you're not carrying chicken mm. rice in a bag when you get attacked. <laughs> Just kidding. You still don't have any visibility for the future. I mean, you're willing to go anywhere, but it kind of depends on... It depends on what we find, what yeah. Decide. Go with the yeah. wind. Yeah. And like I said, we don't have roots anywhere for now. See, Not planning to, because the term settling down is, I guess it's too status quo. <laughs> I suppose. So how did you make the switch from Viscolaire in the primary side to mm-hmm. come over here in the secondary Well, my initial thought was always to apply for a teaching position, and that's how I got into the Viscola. I was like, okay, if there are no teaching positions available, then let me just get into the school at least. Give me a chance to get to know the system and the teachers and the programs. And I did apply to be a teacher on the primary side, but they didn't have any positions available because they were mainly looking to put me in the English section. I saw that they had a science position available here, and I was like, well, that's what I studied, so why not? And I did that, and yeah, that's how it was. Excellent. And you're also a prof principal, right? 
This year, yes, this for the year. first time. This was your first time. How did, first you time. how did you like that? I loved it. I'm definitely doing that again next yeah, year. Yeah, so am I. I yeah. Both of us are in CCM. Yeah. So. Since in the secondary side, we teach subjects. We don't see the students as much as primary side where you're with them every day, all week. Correct. And so I find that being a prof principal gives you that extra sort of relationship with your students. It does. Uh, a gives deeper, you a little, more connection. Gives you a little contact. You really feel the community. You get to know them, Yeah. yeah. And it's I a like special, that. special bond. I really enjoy that. Yeah. Well, is there anything I forgot to ask you about? Is something I don't know. that you'd like to add or something? <laughs> well, you know to my whole us? life story of how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. Like you said, from birth to now. That's right. Yeah, you do it really well. <laughs> well, you you make it interesting. Well, I'm sure there's going to be many more chapters in this story, so we're going to well, have to I have you come so. back. I'm going to have I to have so. you come back, or somebody will pick up the relay. And, oh, and thank you for having me because it was very nice. It was a very nice gesture. Very very flattered to be asked. Thank you very much, and I guess we'll sign off. This is Colin Daly with Parkour Ed. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Parkour Ed with Colin Daly. If you have any feedback, please don't hesitate to let me know. And if you liked our program, please consider sharing it with your friends.